Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. I'm Susanna Streeter. I'm the Senior Investment and Markets Analyst here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And as usual, I am with Sarah Coles, our Senior Personal Finance Analyst. And Sarah, I think this might be the first time either one of us has had time to sit down over the past few weeks. What with so many announcements and changes over the budget, because on top of everything else, of course, we have had the autumn statement plus forecast from the Office of Budget Responsibility and the Bank of England to keep us on our toes. Yes, it's, it's almost nice to take a break and talk it through because, as you say, the bad news has really been flowing thick and fast and it's all going to have really profound consequences, both for investors and for businesses. Absolutely. And one of the sectors that is typically highly exposed during a downturn is the advertising industry, of course, which is what we're looking at today in an episode called Ad Nauseam. Yes, we'll be speaking to Sophie Lundiates, our lead equity analyst here at HL, about some of the listed companies and how they're coping. Hi, Sophie. So you've got quite a broad mix of companies again this week. Hi, Sarah. Yes, I'll be looking at the big marketing company, WPP, as well as some of the companies highly reliant on advertising revenue, including ITV and Alphabet. Thanks, Sophie. Really looking forward to it. And yes, as you say, advertising is vital for an awful lot of tech companies, as well as the traditional media. We'll be speaking to Gideon Spanier, who is editor-in-chief of Campaign, who has his finger firmly on the pulse of the ad industry. And he'll be able to explain just what might lie in store in the coming months. Gideon, welcome to the programme. Well, thanks. Thanks for asking me. At this time of year, we've got a World Cup. That's a pretty unusual thing. And that's a big deal just because uh, advertisers really like advertising during a World Cup. They can reach lots of viewers. Christmas is always a busy time. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of that. And I believe that one of the words of the year, uh, according to some dictionary compilers, is permacrisis. And I think that probably conveys how a lot of people feel about 2022 and maybe what 2023 will bring. Thanks. We've got loads more to talk about later in the programme. Plus, as always, we'll hear from HL's Head of Investment Analysis and Research, Emma Wall, who will be speaking to James Harris from the Troy Trojan Global Income Fund. So plenty of things to get our teeth into, but of course, the fate of the advertising industry starts in many ways with the economic backdrop. So we've got even more of a picture of how difficult things are going to get in the autumn statement. But before we get into that, we should briefly touch on some of the other tough news announced in the budget for investors, notably that the allowances that investors get before they pay tax on either investment gains or on dividends were really cut significantly. Yes, they certainly were. The dividend allowance will be halved to £1,000 in April next year, then halved again to £500 the following April. Meanwhile, the capital gains tax annual exemption will drop from £12,300 to £6,000 in April 2023 and then to £3,000 from April 2024. Quartering these over the next two years will dramatically reduce investors' ability to manage their tax burden by gradually selling assets. And by doing the same to dividend tax allowances, he's raised the threat of tax for millions of smaller investors. There is a small silver lining, though, because there's a window of opportunity between now and April to take advantage of your current capital gains tax allowance. You should also consider making it part of general housekeeping to every year to try and use your gains. And of course, if you've yet to use your ISA allowance this year, you can save tax by thinking about selling assets outside an ISA within your capital gains tax allowance and moving them into the ISA wrapper. And that way you don't have to worry about either dividend tax or capital gains tax on these investments at any point. 
And if you're married or in a civil partnership, you can transfer assets between spouses without triggering a tax charge. So you could hand over enough assets for you both to realise gains within your capital gains tax allowances. And you can receive dividends within your dividend allowance and you can take advantage of both your ISA allowances each year. Of course, as the autumn statement so dramatically showed, tax rules change and any benefits will depend on your circumstances. So make sure you seek advice if you're not sure. Thanks, Sarah. But tax aside, the news many people will have taken from the statement were those details from the Office for Budget Responsibility about the forthcoming recession. It warned that incomes aren't keeping pace with inflation. And when you put that together with rises in interest rates and the expected fall in house prices, it means individuals and businesses will have less cash to spend or invest and less confidence to do so. It warned as well that we are already in a recession and it's likely it will last just over a year with a 2% fall in GDP, so economic output. During that time, unemployment will rise to 4.6% in the autumn of next year. Yes, and this is actually marginally less pessimistic than the Bank of England, which expects that recession to continue to the end of next year. But either way, it's pretty miserable outlook for the economy. And of course, advertising has tended to be incredibly sensitive to economic downturns. So if you go back to the global financial crisis and the subsequent recession, around a year into the downturn, advertising spend was down 16%. And there's an awful lot of worry around that the same thing will happen again. Yes, sir, in the face of signs of a global slowdown, with major central banks raising rates to get a rain on rampant inflation, it seems companies are tightening their belts when it comes to splashing out on new campaigns or digital marketing. Drought warnings are being repeatedly flagged on ad spending with an array of tech firms reporting earnings coming in below expectations. We're going to delve a bit more into this with Sophie in a moment on an individual stocks basis. But looking at the overall picture, it's clear that rising inflation in the form of high energy, transportation or labour costs is making some firms more conservative with spending. But it is likely to be a pretty uneven playing field, with some companies with big brand products more able to pass on higher costs to consumers and determined to keep marketing campaigns in full flow, wary it could eat into sales if brand awareness falls. So this has an impact on traditional media. So traditionally, Christmas is a bumper time for adverts. And this is expected to see the smallest growth in almost a decade, which excludes the lockdown Christmas of 2020. So TV spending is expected to be flat, while newspaper and radio advertising spending will fall. Spending should hold up slightly better in cheaper digital advertising, particularly on search and advertisers targeting Amazon. However, tech companies are facing their own challenges. Yes, they certainly are. The malaise in the tech sector has been well documented of late, with a number of prominent companies laying off workers en masse as inflationary headwinds take hold and the management teams overestimated that changes in consumer behaviour witnessed during the pandemic would hang around for longer. And we've seen this feed into some of the listed companies. So it does seem like a really good time to bring in Sophie Lundiates, our lead equity analyst, to discuss some of these companies, among others. So Sophie, let's start with Alphabet. Hi, Susanna. Yes. So when talking about advertising in today's world, we sort of have to talk about Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. 
Put simply, these days, if you want your website or ads to be seen and have high engagement, nine times out of ten, you'll need to pay to advertise on Google. The tech giant had advertising revenue of over $56 billion just last quarter alone as an idea of of just the sheer scale. I don't think there's, there's really kind of too much debate when it comes to saying digital advertising is increasingly important for the world of marketing. But that doesn't mean that the likes of Alphabet are immune to the ongoing economic weakness. In times of difficulty, as, as you were just discussing, you know, marketing teams often cut their spending to protect profits if demand is falling. Now, with Alphabet, ad growth has slowed from the headier days of last year when it benefited from post-pandemic reopenings and a surge in consumer spending. Double-digit growth from this kind of new base, which is what we saw last quarter, most certainly shouldn't be dismissed. But the fact Alphabet's momentum has come off the boil should be a warning for advertising revenue everywhere. Overall, I feel that Alphabet has some strong growth opportunities, especially when you look at the potential with YouTube ads. Um, But the market's going to remain highly sensitive to the next set of results. That's Alphabet then, Sophie. What about WPP? It's a pretty enormous company in the marketing world, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. And it's a London listed marketing giant as well. So back to kind of UK shores for this one. Um, So WPP is a multinational communications, advertising, public relations and technology company. So essentially through its multiple businesses and agencies, it offers pretty much every marketing need you can imagine. Um, There are lots of clients on the books, as as again, as you can imagine, including big names like Coca-Cola, L'Oreal, Unilever. Um, Although it's a British company, um, WPP has revenue from all over the world. So North America makes up over a third of business when looking at the 2021 financial year. Um, I'd say that I've been pleasantly surprised by progress at WPP. You know, it's put in a lot of effort to turn itself into a more agile and digital focused company, which is which is hard to do with a beast this large. Um, Impressively, looking at the latest update, um, revenues up almost 11% on pre-pandemic levels. WPP now expects full year underlying revenue to grow between 6.5% 6.5% and 7%. Um, and that's compared to previous guidance of 6 to 7%. So it's it's nudged things up slightly. Um, it's also nudged down the expected improvement in operating margin. Um, and that's from 0.5 percentage points to a range of 0.3 to 0.5 percentage points. Um, and WPP is putting that down to investments in people and technology. It won't come as too much of a, as a surprise. The uncertain global economic backdrop really shouldn't be ignored. WPP's more focused structure will help it if conditions sour from here, but it wouldn't be immune to a sharp global downturn. Um, There are a lot of external forces at play the group simply can't control. Let's move on now to ITV, which has been undergoing uh, quite a transformation in many ways. Yes, it's certainly been been busy. But ITV at its core has a lot more exposure to traditional advertising than the likes of Google, say, with the group still relying heavily on advertisers paying to advertise on TV. So this is a declining industry, though, as we shift away from TV guides and onto streaming. And to combat this, ITV is undergoing a huge strategy shift, including bulking out its digital presence with video on demand and streaming efforts of its own. Um, these are admirable and seem to be growing um, Um, But I would say I'm, I'm yet to be convinced ITV can take enough of the digital pie to thrive. 
As a bit of perspective, the group's advertising revenue fell 2% to £1.3 billion in the third quarter. And that's despite that growth that I mentioned in digital advertising revenue. So ITV has a stronghold on the traditional broadcast market in the UK. And there's there's no denying that. I'd also say that if its grand digital plans come good, then the valuation could re-rate substantially. But if is doing a lot of the work here, though. (laughs) Thanks, Sophie. It looks like the impact of the advertising slowdown has really been felt on so many different companies. So let's take a look at the horizon ahead to assess how many dark clouds are gathering and where chinks of light can be found with Gideon Spanier, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign, which is the publication covering everything to do with advertising. So hi, Gideon. Are you seeing any signs of slowdown? Well, that's a good question. There are bits and bobs all over the place. I mean, from the sort of start of the pandemic till now, the So the first year or so of COVID, there was a lot of digital activity because people were stuck at home and they couldn't go out. And you saw for the big tech companies, which also are the biggest advertising platforms like Google, YouTube, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, uh, they really saw a big surge in revenues. People spent a lot of time on these places, as well as Netflix, which at the time did not carry advertising. The big thing that's happened in 2022, which is interesting, separate, if you like, from the Ukraine war and some of the big macro economic trends, is that sort of digital has hit a bit of a ceiling. And you've seen actually YouTube have its first ever decline in quarterly revenue in the quarter to September. Uh, Meta, so the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, that's also for the first time seen revenue go into decline. And this is really interesting. We're trying to work out what has happened. Is our consumption of digital media peaking? Um, that's a global phenomenon. When you come to the UK, I think there is definitely there is talk of recession. But in all those cases, 2021 was an absolutely amazing year. A tremendous bounce back higher than before the pandemic in terms of advertising revenue. So whatever's happening in 2022 should be seen against a backdrop of a strong recovery from the pandemic. Presumably, though, with the with the recession lying ahead, I mean, advertising is one of those things that does tend to be sort of slightly sensitive to downturns. Do, will there be sort of specific brands that you're more likely to, to see coming to the fore, sort of the sorts of things that tended to hold up during previous downturns? Well, that's really interesting, the question about what we can compare between previous downturns and the one that is now coming or is happening. You're right that typically advertising spend is one of the first things that's cut. But talking about digital advertising and data-driven marketing, I think more than ever, brands do have an ability to track whether their advertising spend is driving sales. And there is... a stronger link now between the advertising and the spend. And if you think about things like just if you're on an e-commerce website, if you're doing your grocery shop and you do it online, they can see quite carefully, quite easily how uh, a promotion can lead you to buy right now. So a lot of people in the advertising industry who don't want (laughs) to see advertising spend decline, right? So they are making the case quite strongly serious people that there's a slight decoupling between advertising spend and, if you like, GDP, that brands need to advertise because this is a a potentially high inflation recession. If you are a brand, you need to persuade your customers to pay a premium for your brand, which means you keep advertising. So 
it's going to be very interesting in 2023. And some of the early predictions are that advertising revenue will continue to rise, maybe not in real terms, maybe not ahead of inflation, but you won't see a decline. That's what some of the forecasters say. So in terms then of this sort of clickability and trackability, do you think that there will be more of a focus on on the sort of tech advertising just, you know, going into this tougher period? Well, actually, it's, again, interesting because people say to me, well, really, you know, talking about the differences between digital and traditional media, that doesn't really make much sense anymore. The two have largely fused and online consumption is by far the biggest sort of way that we consume media. So if I was to sort of try and think about trends, well, ITVX, their new streaming service launches on the 8th of December. And really, they are trying to make ITVX your primary destination, even more than the ITV main channels on your TV. They can then, you know, use that data to target advertising. And it's free. And in a cost of living scenario where people are mindful of where they spend their money, they don't want to necessarily pay and subscribe to a streaming service. So a free non-subscription service, that's really interesting. So I think you are seeing continued online consumption. But I think, you know, we've, the, the internet has been around really for 20 plus years. You're, you, you know, a lot of quote unquote traditional media platforms are, um, you know, now digitized. So uh, I think you'll just see a continued trend towards more online consumption. And brands, uh, if you're, let's say, manufacturer of uh, soap powder or some other uh, consumer goods, you know, you're you're probably not going to sell tons and tons through e-commerce, but you will through your, you know, the online grocery stores and so on through your partners. So I think one other interesting trend to watch out for is you're seeing companies like Tesco and Boots use their online shopper data and they're offering to match it to the advertiser's data. And so, you know, if you are a manufacturer of soap powder and you want to target um, people who buy, you know, your existing brand or who don't buy it, you can now do that. And you're, you know, you're seeing what's called retail media advertising growing a lot. Of course, for traditional media, this is part of a longer term decline, isn't it? Well, I think that if you talk to most brand and marketing experts, they would tell you you need a mix of different channels. If you do everything in one place, well, you you know, you're probably going to sound a bit one note. And um, I think that there's a huge number of people who listen to commercial radio every week. I think it's in the region of 35 million people. Uh, there's a you know huge number of people who watch television, uh, commercial television, even if some of it's on demand and so on. So these are vast audiences. And a good example is I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And that has been getting 11, 12 million audiences, uh, which is a big, big audience. And if uh, it's also the Christmas season, if you are a big retailer, uh, whether it's again, sort of a John Lewis or Boots, who've been making Christmas ads, you might have seen the Asda one featuring Elf, if you like this sort of traditional way of reaching audiences, still works. And I'd add one more thing. Radio and television, and to an extent newspapers, they're all regulated in some way. And you only have to look at Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter to see that aspects of the internet are just not very well regulated. And your advertisers think quite carefully about where they want to place their message and when they can't be sure about what the environment is. Do you think we've already seen a change to Christmas advertising? So it's a good question about Christmas. 
probably starting in about 2009, John Lewis has sort of set the bar with their Christmas advertising and has really led to something of a renaissance in storytelling and advertising. You know, I've spoken quite a lot about digital advertising and tracking how that advertising can lead to a sale. But the John Lewis method, which has been about emotional storytelling, more and more brands have certainly been inspired by. And that can range from boots this year, sort of having someone wearing magic spectacles and being taken into, you know, a more joyful world. You've got uh, M&S, which has had Dawn French and uh, a sort of fairy, literally, tale. I actually think that the trend overall has been quite positive. I think the John Lewis ad, which features a child who is going to be fostered arriving at the family of um, her foster parents is is a really charming and very different and quite uh, serious ad and has won a lot of plaudits. I would say the tone has been relatively positive and I think that you know, on a wider point, it's easy to forget this. There was still a surprising amount of coronavirus restrictions during 2021, which made making Christmas ads this time last year well, in fact, airing them quite difficult. We actually had the Omicron scare. A lot got cancelled. This year, I think Christmas is back a bit. And I quite like the ads this year. I think it's quite a decent crop. So so we've talked a little bit about what's what's to come next year. Do you think there are any sort of particular trends that people should watch out for? When it comes to the UK market, uh, without making any party political points, there seems to be a bit more stability than there was, say, in September. Uh, which helps advertisers and companies generally like stability. It's an interesting time. You've got, as we said, these digital giants, which are global, but UK is an important market, seeing something of a um, bump in the road. You've got Netflix and Disney Plus introducing advertising. And that's super interesting because it's a saying that a pure subscription model or a pure advertising model might not be best. It's good to combine both. I'd expect mainly online consumption to continue. Therefore, a lot of what brands will do will be about connecting their own advertising to their websites and apps and then making sure that the big storytelling which they might do through tv radio out of home poster sites all of that sort of connects up i think it's all about connecting so that your message is more consistent and hopefully you know interesting to the consumer Uh, after all the most important thing about your advertising is you want to engage and be remembered so that when it comes to that moment when the the customer's looking to buy they think i'll buy that brand not the other one oh thanks very much gideon it is going to be really interesting to see who weathers this storm but i really appreciate you talking to us today thanks for asking me and if you're enjoying this podcast please do let us know what you think and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you get a fresh new episode in your inbox as soon as it's ready. So let's bring in Emma Wall now, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research here at HL. She's been speaking to James Harris from the Troy Trojan Global Income Fund. Hi, James. Good morning. So this podcast is all about the power of advertising, and that got me thinking about brands and how we invest in brands. Warren Buffett calls it an economic moat. It is a protection around a company which makes them a good investment. And that's the sort of thing that you like to invest in in the portfolio, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, Troy, what we're trying to do is buy businesses that we think are high quality. And the way we define that is that they have sustainably high returns on capital. 
And of course, what you're alluding to is that that shouldn't necessarily be the case, because if a company has high returns, then other companies bid them away. So what you have to have is a particular attribute or quality that enables you to sustain high returns. And these can be a number of different things. It can be the fact that you're the low-cost producer, or you're, you have efficiency at scale, or you have a depth of distribution. But one of them is uh, an intangible asset, and in this case, a brand. What that enables you to do is effectively uh, create loyalty amongst your customer base and, and frankly, charge a higher price than otherwise would be the case. Now, I have to say, because this is investing, that nothing is guaranteed. The brand can be eroded, not least by things like environmental, social and governance factors. We've seen some companies who were previously on top of their game sort of fall foul of the consumer. But what about ones that, that you think do have that intangible asset? Perhaps you could sort of share with us one of the companies that you think fits the bill. We're trying to invest in resilient companies that we think you can say something sensible about in terms of what they might look like in a five, seven, ten-year view. Uh, and a company like that would be something like Pepsi. I mean, Pepsi is a, is a fantastic business. Uh, although it sounds like it um, makes carbonated soft drinks, it's in fact a snacking business. It made an acquisition a number of years ago and is the dominant snacking business. Snacking is quite a popular pastime in the US. Uh, and therefore, having a dominant franchise, which includes brands such as Lay's, uh, they have walkers in this country, uh, Doritos and so on. The combination of being dominant plus having very well-recognized brands means that it's just a wonderful business, has extremely uh, attractive returns on capital employed, long runway for growth, high incremental returns on capital. And it's a sort of business that you can be fairly certain will be around on a five, seven, ten-year view. And it's all about, as you say, the predictability of those returns. As I said, nothing's guaranteed. But what you're alluding to there is businesses that you think the income is dependable because they may be um, less economically sensitive, for example, which at the moment is, is, is really important because the economic outlook from here doesn't look so great. Well, that's dead right. I mean, we have a number of, a number of challenges, do we not? I mean, as you say, the economic outlook doesn't look fantastic. Uh, and yet equity markets arguably are still not especially good value. That's the sort of macro level. But at the micro level, there's a further point that we are now in a different world whereby we now have a cost of capital, so to speak. So interest rates have gone up and therefore companies have to actually pay something for capital that they use in their business. And this has a really profound influence because it essentially means that in the last 14 years, which I think when we look back will be seen as a bit of an aberration, these, this long period of zero interest rates and quantitative easing, what that meant was that there were lots and lots of businesses that were able to raise money very cheaply and therefore chase market share rather than profitability. But in this new world, if you like, or actually it's a return to the old world, then many of those sorts of companies are going to fall by the wayside. And in that case, it's going to really be sort of the return of the incumbents, the established, tried and tested businesses, which have built up um, well-loved and well-recognized brands over a number of years, we think are extremely well-placed to weather the more difficult economic outlook, but the more favorable microeconomic outlook in which they now find themselves. And do you have another company example? So you've given us Pepsi there with some of those recognised snacking brands. Who else sort of falls into this, this, this bucket of, of strong brand equals good investment? We have a decent allocation to branded consumer goods and Pepsi will be one of those. But brands don't just relate to, to consumer staples. Um, one of the things that I think people don't, or, or it's easy to overlook, is that brands aren't simply a logo or a, um, a name on a, on, a, on a packet of crisps. They're actually a way by which companies can get consumers to have a particular view 
about the company as a whole. It's almost like a share of mind. You have in your brain something that says, when I think of Coca-Cola, I think of a particular thing. But it isn't just in Staples. So I would say a company like Nintendo is a really good example. So Nintendo is a company we own in the portfolio. We think this is an outstanding investment opportunity today. Um, you know, it has absolutely unbelievably um, durable uh, uh, intellectual property. I mean, I watched my own boy play Nintendo, as I did when I was a child. And he's playing the same games. It's remarkable, really. They're evergreen um, global franchises, which is some of the most um, successful global franchises that the gaming world has ever seen, such as Mario and Legend of Zelda and Pokemon and so on. Uh, and we think Nintendo effectively is priced like Nokia and is actually much more like Apple. So the current console that Nintendo has is called the Switch. It's one of the most successful um, consoles of all time. Uh, and investors worry that the next iteration of the Switch which is going to be called the Switch Pro, and it's going to be launched at some time next year, might be a flop. Some of their consoles have been a flop in the past, and therefore the chairs, in our view, are very inexpensively valued. But the difference today is we have an individual account with Nintendo, and therefore, rather than just simply taking a piece of plastic off the shelf and playing it and then putting it back on the shelf, you now actually have a platform over which they upgrade the software via Wi-Fi on which you download games. So the margins are enhanced as a result of that. But crucially also they effectively have a stalled base of over 100 million people who have a relationship, a direct relationship with Nintendo. And therefore, the persistency of the current customer base to the next Switch Pro, we think, will be far more persistent than the, than the market is currently um, valuing. Uh, all of this is underpinned, of course, by, as we're discussing, by the Nintendo brand, which when you think of that, you think of family-friendly, evergreen, well-recognizable um, gaming franchises. James, thank you very much. Thanks very much indeed, Emma. Well, that was Emma Wall, Head of Investment Analysis and Research here at HL, speaking to James Harris from the Troy Trojan Global Income Fund. And please bear in mind that these are the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And now, of course, it's time for the quiz. Unsurprisingly, we'll be focusing on advertising. We'll start by going back in time, Sarah, to the first ever advert. So, are you ready? Oh, always ready for a quiz. Do you know what the first ever written ad was for? Was it a Stone Age etching advertising masonry skills? An Egyptian slaveholder trying to find a runaway slave? Or medieval maps offering food and lodging ideas? Oh, do you know, I, I do really like the idea of a fancy stone etching because there's actually some Victorian houses near where I live with loads of different kinds of fancy stonework, which they're kind of used as a catalogue for rich Victorians to sort of walk past and pick the one they wanted. So I think I'm going to go with that fancy stone etching. It's actually option two. The first ever written ad was found in the ruins of Thebes in Egypt. It was a papyrus created in 3000 BC by a slaveholder trying to find a runaway slave while also promoting their weaving shop. <laughs> you should have known that, Sarah. It sounds like someone trying to get the absolute maximum for their ad spend there and trying to get everything in at once. Right now, slightly further forward in time now, Sarah. What did the founding father of modern advertising sell? Was it pear soap, kennel ration dog food or the first Oxo cube? <laughs> well, this is actually more around my kind of historical knowledge. Um, although I do um, reckon kennel ration sounds a bit made up. So I'm going to go either pears, which obviously had all those cheesy Victorian bathing paintings, or Oxo, which I know from the Oxo Tower. But I'll go for pears. 
You are right, it was in fact pear soap. And the founding father being Thomas James Barrett, who apparently said, any fool can make soap, it takes a clever man to sell it. And he was just such a clever man, making pear soap, possibly the most famous brand of the 19th century. And Oxo, the Oxo cube, began life as a meat extract developed by Justice von Liebig, but it wasn't rebranded as Oxo until nearly the turn of the 20th century. While kennel ration was a real name for dog food, but it started being sold after World War One. So there we go. OK, next, this is an easy one. We had to mention the iconic series Mad Men based on characters in the ad industry. If you can tell me where the series was set and what year the series was set in when it kicked off, I'll give you two points. Oh, you say it's an easy one, but it's my shame. I've never seen it. But I do know it was set in New York and I do know it was sometime in the 60s. So I'm going to go down the middle and say 1965. Easy peasy. Yes, it is New York and the right decade, but it's the wrong year. The series kicked off, in fact, in 1960. But you can still visit plenty of iconic locations in the city where the the series was filmed, like the Grand Central Oyster Bar, where Don gets Roger drunk before a business meeting at the restaurant. So there you go. If you're ever going there, it's worth a trip. Okay, finally, and almost entirely up to date, the modern Christmas advert was reinvented by John Lewis with its first Christmas tearjerker. But what was the first one? Was it the little boy who was counting down the days to give his parents their present? The young girl who sends a telescope to a man living on the moon? Or the woodland creatures waking the bear for Christmas? (laughs) Now, I do know this one and I do love all of those. It was, in fact, I think, the little boy who couldn't wait to give his parents a present. You are right, although I'm sure most parents are still waiting, hopefully, for that day to come. (laughs) I, I know I am. It has to be time for some payback, surely soon. Let's hope so. So that's all from us for this time. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on the 24th of November 2022 and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Investments in any income will rise and fall in value so you could get back less than you invest and past performance isn't a guide to the future. This is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Gideon, James, Sophie, Emma and our producer, Elizabeth Hotson. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.